Good morning again. So last week, we finished up the book of Exodus, and we've been going through that all spring. It's been a really, really good study. Um, I can tell you from your pastors, it's been a hard study. It seems like every time we went to the scriptures, we'd think, oh, this, it's, you know, it's this, and it's, it's like this. And so um, it's, uh, it's different to feel like we're out of the book of Exodus now because it seemed like everything we did uncovered another rock and another rock and another rock, but it was really good. So this summer, July, it, it is, you know, it's the heat of summer, which hadn't been thankfully too bad this year. But we wanted to do something a little different. Our norm, if you're new with us, is that we, we go through a book of Scripture and we just, we just go through. Um, every week, you know exactly what the pastor's going to preach. It's the next passage. Like, I mean, just that's it. We're not creative around here. Um, we're going to start that again August 15th with the book of Hebrews. Um, it is a rich, rich, rich book, but we had to do Genesis. First and Second Samuel, First and Second Kings, and now Exodus before we could get there because all of that is, is the foundation of the book of Hebrews. You've got to have that to get Hebrews. So we didn't want to start that in the summer. One of the things that we hear all the time as pastors and you just, is, is people quoting the Bible, only they're not quoting the Bible. They're saying something else. And so we, we came up with this grand series called Things the Bible Does Not Say. So the passage I'm preaching is not a passage out of the Bible. And as a matter of fact, I'm preaching against the passage, as you'll see here. In a little bit. Like, it's weird, but I think it's really helpful. And so today, just straight up, this is going to be one of the more unusual sermons I preach in that I'm, I'm going to throw out some theological terms to y'all, which we occasionally do, like, every point's a big theological term. It's like a heading in the big monster systematic theology books. But we're going to talk about those. We're going to talk about them, what they mean. I'm going to explain them. So don't panic when you hear the big words. And they're not massive. There's, there's one doozy, all right? Um, the others are more combination of words you already know. But we need to see what does the Bible actually say? And so the, the, the phrase that we're going to talk about today God helps those who help themselves. We jokingly cited that as Benjamin Franklin 4.2. But when I went in to find this, ironically, Benjamin Franklin, he's late to the game. This saying has been around actually for millennia prior to good old Benny, Benny Franklin and the, the square spectacles. Um, so I want to trace that real quick for you. And the reason I want to trace this, one, it's a little interesting, but two, I want you to see the origins from different distinct cultures that had no cultural interaction with each other and see what has come and, and where this thing comes from. So just kind of give you a for instance. Do not murder, right? That's, that's pretty like groundworks for everybody, right? Like nobody questions the Bible when it says do not murder. Every, nobody questions the you know, Constitution and the, the legislation after that says do not murder. Like don't do that. And if you go to England, guess what you're going to see? Don't murder. That's bad. If you go to France, don't murder. That's bad. If you go out to this wild tribe that's never had contact with the outside world or the Western world, don't murder people. That's bad. We may define murder different, but murder is still bad. If you go to Asian cultures, again, a very different development than the Western world, and you see don't murder, that's bad. You can kind of get that like, hey, 
This is a no-brainer, right? But what I want to show you in just a minute or two here is that this phrase, God helps those who help themselves, is almost as pervasive as the law, don't murder. It's everywhere. It's everywhere. So let's trace with me a little bit. 409 B.C., the first record of this written down, we don't have a whole lot written before that, um, Sophocles, y'all remember him, some of y'all who've been put through the torture of political studies and philosophy. In, in his book, Philokatetes, yes, that's a real name, I'm not kidding you, I just had to say that because it's too goofy not to, make, not to make fun of, says this, are you ready? No good ever comes of purposeless leisure. In other words, don't, don't just go have fun for the fun of it. And this is the phrase, and heaven never helps the man who will not act. Heaven never helps the man who will not act. Euripides, another Greek philosopher and historian, 428 B.C., just 20 years later, try first yourself and after call in God. For the worker, God himself lends aid. In other words, you're not working yourself, man. Don't, don't, don't be calling on God. Like, try to get it done yourself before you ever call in God. Ovid, in uh, Metamorphoses, I, I even goofed that one up. I hate trying to do this stuff. Metamorphoses, Greek words are not my pronoun. Hebrew, all day long. Greek, I struggle with them. Listen to this. God helps those who dare. Later in the book, he says, divinity helps those who dare. He's writing war history. And he's saying that God rewards the warrior who just goes out, you know, guns blazing, swords blazing. Doesn't quite have the same ring. And he's, that's who God helps. He helps the one who dares, who goes further forward. Aesop's fables. Y'all remember those? They're kind of dark. You know, we talk about them as like children's stories. But we kind of clean them up first, right? This is actually, most of these are from ancient Greece. Aesop was an ancient Greek man. And he tells a story about a man who was shipwrecked. He, he's lost, he's on an island. I mean, it is, it is the classic, like, you know, island all by himself with the palm tree, you know. And, and he calls on Athena, their goddess, for help. Her answer? Learn to swim. I like that one. That, okay, that's, that's bonus points for sarcasm for Athena, right? But that's Greece. And this, the Greek thought is what imperviates Western thought as a whole. So this, this is in us. Like as far back as we go, we are thinking this thing. That God's going to help people who are working really hard, who are doing, they're trying their best. God helps those people. But let, let's switch. Whole nother development of society. Middle East. First time probably in my life. I want to quote you the Quran. Quran 1311. This is a translation. They would not say this is the real Quran because that's only in Arabic, but here's a translation of it. Indeed, Allah will not charge the conditions of a population. Or excuse me. Indeed, Allah will not change the conditions of a population until they change what is in themselves. In other words, clean yourself up first and then Allah will come help. I'm going to go a little further, a little newer. George Herbert, all right, English, uh, British philosopher. Help thyself, God will help thee, 
This is in the roughly 1400s. Uh, Alagnon Signy, English political theory. Here you go. It's the actual phrase, in English, God helps those who help themselves. It was in the 1300s. Then, of course, we get Benny Franklin, right? Benny Franklin, Poor Richard's Almanac, 1736. This is what brought it to us. Like, this is Americans. Where that phrase come from? Ben Franklin. It's all right there. And he tells us that God will help us when we help ourselves. So Ben, uh, Poor Richard's Almanac, if you're not familiar with, this is like one of two books most people went westward with. It was an almanac. It told you when to plant, when to sow, what the weather was probably going to be like. It, it had all sorts of conversion tables, like this means that, you know, it weighs this, you need to get it to this. It's like got all those tables in there. It is, it is like the manual for life, according to Ben Franklin. And his spiritual philosophy Get out there and pull yourselves up by your bootstraps. Oh, and then, yeah, God will help you. How many times have you heard from a friend, from a coworker, and believed yourself, if truth be told? Well, if I can just get enough good, yeah, then God will make it the rest of the way. In Islam, the whole principle of, of whether you go to heaven or hell paradise or hell is the scales is your good more than your bad and then the 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 quran says and god may be merciful to those we trace this all the way back to egypt and osiris he's holding the scales and those scales aren't to weigh things those scales are did you do more good or did you do more bad this is the heart of godless heathen religion it's the heart of it it's where it is the the ultimate preaching of all the preachers out there except the preaching of the gospel of jesus christ is do more do better fix yourself if you look at the phenomena of podcasts how many how many of you like podcasts all right, I, I, am a, I am a junkie, all right? Listen to it all the time. The number of self-help podcasts out there is like ridiculous. And, and again, some, I've listened to some of them. Some of them have some great advice. But the whole thinking is help yourself. When I worked in college, it, 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 this, was, this was an eye-opener to me. The Christianity section at Barnes & Noble, where I worked um, to get through about half of college, there's a column of Bibles, there's a column of Christian books, there's two columns of Christian friction, fiction, um, which probably ought never be read. Anyway, um, so four sections, and that included Bibles. Four sections. You went to the self-help section. I can't count them in columns because it was four rows in that store. Four entire aisles of self-help for this or that. This is what we do as people. How, how many of you, all right, students, kids, question time, honesty time. How many of you have ever tried to be extra good because you knew you had a test coming and you wanted to pray that God would help you? I know I, know I did when I was a kid, like... 
This is what we do. How, how many of you heard the phrase when you were a kid? Good little boys or good little girls go to heaven. What a lie from the pit of hell. There are no good little boys and good little girls. That's the, that's the secret. So, all right, enough of that. This is the phrase, but it, like, do you get that? I mean, this is everywhere. This is religion outside of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And so I, I want to ground us in a scripture. Again, at Providence, we believe in the word of God, and this is where we want to go. I don't, my words on this are nothing but self-help. If we get to the scriptures, and what do they actually teach us? That's where we need to go. So open your Bibles, if you have one, Ezekiel 37. We're going to read verses 1 through 14. We're going to read a bunch of Bible passages today. Ezekiel chapter 37, 1 through 14. I want to start us with a story. I want the visual picture of the truth of Scripture to grab us, and then we'll, we'll read out and read the didactic, the direct statement of this. Ezekiel chapter 37, 1 through 14. Um, while you're turning there, Again, I want to say, parents, your students were awesome this week. I am worn, they wore me out. Like, I don't know that there's, I have been less tired after VBS <laughs> as many years. But man, it was good. And the word was brought forth. And so I, let me encourage you, talk to your students about them. Help them finish this out. Tell them to take their journals out. Students, maybe to this morning, pull your journal. Talk about this stuff. Ezekiel chapter 37. Listen for this, and listen for God's response to God helps those who help themselves. The hand of the Lord was upon me, and he brought me out in the spirit of the Lord and set me down in the middle of a valley. So Ezekiel literally gets like floated to the middle of this valley. It was full of bones. And he led me around among them. And behold, there were very many on the surface of the valley. And behold, they were very dry. And he said to me, Son of man, can these bones live? And I answered, O Lord God, you know. Then he said to me, Prophesy over these bones and say to them, O dry bones, hear the word of the Lord. Thus says the Lord God to these bones, Behold, I will cause breath to enter you, and you shall live, and I will lay sinews on you, and you, and will cause flesh to come upon you, and cover you with skin, and put breath in you, and you shall live, and you shall know that I am the Lord. So I prophesied as I was commanded. And as I prophesied, there was a sound, and behold, a rattling. And the bones came together, bone to its bone. And I looked, and behold, there were sinews on them, and flesh had come upon them, and skin had covered them, but there was no breath in them. This is like the anti-Indiana Jones uh, and the uh, Ark of the Covenant scene, all right? Then he said to me, prophesy to the breath, prophesy, son of man, say to the breath, thus says the Lord God, come from the four winds, O breath, and breathe on these slain that they may live. So I prophesy as he commanded me and the breath came into them and they lived and they stood on their feet an exceeding great army. Then he said to me, son of man, these bones are the whole house of Israel. In other words, the people of God. Behold, they say our bones are dried up and our hope is lost. We are indeed cut off. 
Therefore prophesy and say to them, Thus says the Lord God, Behold, I will open your graves and raise you from your graves, O my people, and I will bring you to the land of Israel, and you shall know that I am the Lord. And when I open your graves and raise you from your graves, O my people, I will put my spirit within you, and you shall live. And I will place you in your own land. Then you shall know that I am the Lord. I have spoken. And I will do it, declares the Lord. What do bones do, kids? Hmm? Help you move. I'm talking those bones. Bones sitting there. Boom, right there. What's it do? Turns to dust. What else, Savior? It just sits there. It just sits there. You are exactly right. That is exactly the answer. Thank you, theologian Xavier. You are 100% on. Bones don't do stuff. They sit. They don't help themselves. Three things today. You'll see it there in your notes. You can fill it in. I'm going to spell some of these, so don't panic. All right, kids. First point. Here's why we don't believe the Bible helps those who help themselves. The Bible teaches. Here's what the Bible teaches. The Bible teaches total depravity. Total depravity. All right, ready kids? I told you I'd spell this, so don't panic. And I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to define it, so don't, don't, don't panic on me here, all right? D-E-P-R-A-V-I-T-Y. Total depravity. D-E-P-R-A-V. I-T-Y. Here's what that means. This is a theological term, all right? Total depravity means that sin has changed us. Sin has hurt us to such a degree that we cannot save ourselves. Now, we're going to develop that a little more, talk a little bit more about what that means, but there's the basic. It means sin is worse than you think it is. It has made it where you can't get to God on your own. So, here's the little blanks to fill in. Ready? Total depra- the Bible teaches total depravity. The next two little blanks there. Which means you cannot help yourself if you wanted to. You cannot help yourself if you wanted to. See, total depravity, it doesn't mean that you're as bad as you could possibly. It doesn't mean everybody in the earth is Hitler. Right? That, that's not what total depravity means. But what total depravity does mean, why why we've used that term to describe what the Bible teaches about sin, is that sin has not just hurt us, right? If if you hurt your little toe, it hurts, right? I mean, you're going to be limping around a little bit, you break your little toe, you are not a happy camper. But you can still eat, right? Okay, worst case scenario, you are the dude on the island, okay? (laughs) Learn to swim. But you are the dude on the island. You, can st- you got your toe hurt. You can still go find the coconut, crack it open, and have some food. What total depravity says is not that sin is a broken toe. It's not that sin is a, is a cut-off arm. It's not that sin is major bleeding. Sin causes death. And it's death 
to every part of your being. Your emotions are corrupted. Your soul is corrupted. Your mind is corrupted. Your will is corrupted. Even our bodies are corrupted. This is why we get cancer. This is why things go wrong. Is that sin has reached down as deep as it can reach. It's the very fiber of our beings. And it's taken control. It's taken us from God's kids there in Eden. Hanging out with God the Father. To rebels. Not in the cool Star Wars sense. But those fighting, those shaking our fist to God. The Bible describes it as enmity to God. That is who we are to the deepest fiber of our building. So we can't get out of that in our own. All right, kids, y'all have heard this before. So put up with me just a little bit because I want to talk to the adults and learn them a little bit. All right. So I've described it this way to the kids a lot. Okay. If little Billy and little Bobby are here, and little Billy punches little Bobby in the eye. All right, bad thing, right? That would be sin. That would be like not defending yourself. I mean, he just, he just slugs him one because he wants to. Can big black eye, right? Can little Billy apologize? Yeah, right? Can he ask for forgiveness? Absolutely. Can he unpunch little Bobby? No, like the punch is thrown. You can't undo that. And you see, Scripture teaches us that our sin is against a most holy God. So we can't take that back. Even if we ask for forgiveness, the black eye is still there. We cannot help ourselves even if we wanted to. The Bible says it this way. That even our good works are like filthy rags. And by the way, that's the PG version of what that verse says. We can't help ourselves. We can't do it. But, but here, point number two, sub-point number two under that. You don't want to. <laughs> we couldn't help ourselves if we wanted to, but you don't want to. Let's go back to the bone. What does the bone do? Sit there. I have yet to be to the funeral where the corpse asked for a glass of water. Right? Like, dead people are dead. And the Bible describes our sin as that we don't even want to. So, scriptures. Let's go. Let's read. Ephesians 2. We're going to go all over the place. Y'all just get ready. I'm going to read them to you. If you don't have a Bible, that's okay. You can grab one there in the pews. We're going to be all over the place. Ephesians 2, 1 through 3. Listen to this. Ephesians 2, 1 through 3. And you were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath, like the rest of mankind, we had earned God's wrath, separation from Him in that real but horrible place called hell. Romans 3. Turn with me there. Romans 3. You can kind of keep your finger if you haven't moved it in Ezekiel. We're going back there in just a minute. Excuse me, Romans 3, 23. I hope most of y'all have memorized this. If not, it's probably one you need to memorize to share with your friends about Christ. It says simply, for all have sinned 
and fall short of the glory of God. Now the rest, the next verse is hopeful, but we're going to stop there for just a minute. All right, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Turn just a couple pages to Romans six twenty three. What that means is sin is pervasive. It didn't miss anybody. It didn't miss me. It didn't miss you. It didn't miss your kids. Sin is pervasive. It's everywhere. And Romans 6.23 says, For the wages of sin is death. That means not only is sin pervasive, not only is it everywhere in everyone, it's total and complete destruction. And praise God, and we'll get here then. Don't, don't worry, we're not going to end on a sad note, by the way. For the wages of sin is, is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. We're going to get there, but we need to go a little bit more and see what the Scripture teaches before we can. If you are here and just exploring the claims of Christianity, the claim of Christianity that is different than every other religion out there, is that we don't say God helps those who help themselves. We stop that verse from Benjamin Franklin a little bit early. We say God helps those. See, we say, John 3.16, for God so loved the world that He gave His only Son. We have a hope that people in the, every other religion can't give you. When I've been to Central Asia and I've talked to people that have become my dear friends who are Muslims, what they always say is, I hope I can get to heaven. I hope I've been good enough. Christ says, faith, that's the assurance of hope. We got it, man. It's it's solid. It's done. We're not relying on dead bones figuring a way out to not be We're dead bones who got resurrected, had flesh put on us. The rattling happened and Christ has come. And that's the good news of the gospel. Christ died for your sins while you were still a sinner. He regenerates your heart. He gives you faith and says, trust me, come to me, turn from that to me. And he does the saving work. And so that's point number two. The Bible teaches, all right, this is the weirdest word, all right, here we go, ready? The Bible teaches monergism, all right, monergism, M-O-N-E-R-G-I-S-M, M-O-N-E-R-G-I-S-M, monergism, all right? Now, you know part of that word, mono, right? Mono, mono. This is one. What the Bible teaches what that word literally means in Latin is the work of one. The work of one. And when it comes to salvation, there's a monergism. Who is the one who works in salvation? I'm the children's pastor. You talk back, remember? Who is the one who works in salvation? God. We don't save ourselves. We don't save ourselves. God is the one who works. The opposite of monergism is synergism. Working together. Now in group assignments, synergism, good. 
Salvation doesn't exist. God is the one who saves. What do dead bones do? Nothing. There, there is a hymn. I love the melody. I love most of the rest of this hymn. But there is a, a line in it. It says, I was sinking deep in sin far from the starry shore. And love lifted me. You're swimming, you're struggling, and God helps. The Bible says, that's malarkey. You're dead. You're at the ocean, rotting bones, fish nibbling. Everybody's happy except you. All the, the sharks are having a heyday. We're dead in our sins. God is the one who resurrects dead people this is why it is so so significant when jesus christ died he became undead he rose up from the grave he stopped being dead it took god to resurrect the dead jesus christ god the son who became flesh had to fix the dead thing for us we can't do it god is the one who acts And so again, if you're exploring Christianity, what God calls you to do is turn to Him. It's not work. It's not clean yourself up and then turn to... No, it's just just turn your eyes to Jesus. Remember the thief on the cross? There were three people who were executed on the day Jesus died. He was in the middle between two thieves. One of them was mocking Jesus. The other one started mocking Jesus. And then by the end realized there was something very different about this man in that middle cross. And he said, today, take me to paradise. And Jesus said, I'll see you there this afternoon. Slightly more Hebraic, but that's the point. Dude didn't do anything. He was literally in the middle of an execution. I'm pretty sure they didn't baptize him, right? I'm very confident that there was not this list of good works that he accomplished. He didn't get his life cleaned up in time. There was no restitution for all that he stole. He was hanging on the cross about to die. He said, Jesus, take me to paradise. Let me tell you, I just said those words. There's no magic in them. Those words didn't save him. Christ saved that man who trusted him to do so. So the call to you is turn to Christ who saves. Turn to Christ in faith and in belief in trust in Him to do all the saving. Because you can't do it yourself. Let's read some more scriptures here. Um, Ezekiel. I told you we were coming back. Go to Ezekiel 11. I love this. This is one of my favorite passages in the Bible. Ezekiel chapter 11, verse 17. Ezekiel chapter 11, verse 17. Um, We're right in the middle of a discouraging time. The people of Israel, the people of God, have been pushed out of their home. They're captives. And here's what God says to them. Ezekiel 11, 17 says, Therefore, thus says the Lord God, I will gather you from the peoples and assemble you out of the countries where you have been scattered, and I will give you the land of Israel. And when they come there, they will remove, it, remove from it all its detestable things and its abominations. So notice what happens first. 
I'll restore you, and then you'll remove idols. Verse 19. And I will give them one heart and a new spirit I will put within them. I will remove their heart of stone from their flesh and give them a heart of flesh. That, so in other words, they couldn't do this before, but now listen to what they can do. That they may walk in my statutes and keep my rules and obey them. And that they may be my people and I will be their God. They needed a new heart. They needed a complete restoration from God alone. A monergism. God working to save them before they could walk in His ways. Before they could be His people. Before they could get rid of the idols. God worked. We read this passage earlier, uh, Elder Jeff did, of um, God saving man named Matthew, we call it Levi in Mark. Um, That's probably a nickname from what tribe he was from. And he's, he's sitting and eating dinner with the dude everybody hated because he was so corrupt. And Jesus says, man, he was sick. He needed the doctor. Th- this, is, this is it. Verse 21, But as for those whose heart go after detestable things and their abominations, I will bring their deeds upon their head, declares the Lord. This is not a God saves everyone. But this is God does save. This is God will save you. So turn to this blessed, glorious, loving God. Ezekiel 36. We started just before this. So remember, right before the whole bones thing. Here's what God says. Ezekiel 36, verse 31. Listen to this. Then you'll remember your evil ways. I was like, oh, I've been bad. The wake up call. Then you'll remember your evil ways and your deeds that were not good. And you will loathe yourselves for your iniquities and your abominations. So that's, that's where we end up in misery, thinking about how bad the stuff we've done is. It is not for your sake that I will act. That's not what gets God to act, is being sorry for your sin. God loves you and acts prior to he has sent jesus for you he died while we were still sinners it's not for your sake i will act declares the lord let that be known to you be ashamed and be confounded in your ways O house of israel thus says the lord god on the day that i cleanse you from all your iniquities who's doing it it's god i cleanse you from all your iniquities I caused the cities to be inhabited and the waste places to be rebuilt. And that land that was desolate shall be tilled instead of being desolate that was in the sight of all who passed by. And they shall say, this is the land that was desolate that has become like the Garden of Eden. It's back to the garden. It's back to fellowship with God because of God's work. And the waste and the desolate and the ruined cities are now fortified and inhabited. Then the nations that are left all around you, you shall know that I am the Lord. I have rebuilt the ruined places and planted that which was desolate. I am the Lord. I have spoken. I will do it. Thus says the Lord God, this is also, this also, I will let the house of Israel ask me to do for them. In other words, I'm going to answer their prayers to increase their people like a flock, like the flock of for sacrifices like the flock at Jerusalem during her appointed feast, so that they shall the waste should oh boy, let me try that again. So shall the waste cities be filled with the flocks of people. Then they will know 
that I am the Lord. The whole point is that God is the one doing this. We're going to turn again. Ephesians 2, back there. We read the negative part. Ephesians 2, 1 through 10. I'm going to read the whole thing again so you get the picture. But you were dead in trespasses and sin in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit which is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in our passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind, but God... But God, being rich in mercy because of the great love with which He loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved and raised up with Him and seated with Him in the heavenly places in Christ so that in the coming ages He might show the immeasurable riches of His grace in kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. For by grace you have been saved through faith. And this, not of your own doing, it is the gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast. For we are His workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. That's the gospel. God saves. Man, does He save thoroughly. Last thing. Not only does the Bible teach total depravity, not only does the Bible teach monergism, but the Bible teaches progressive sanctification. All right, two long words. Here we go. Ready? P-R-O, kids. G-R-E-S-S-I-V-E. P-R-O-G-R-E-S-S-I-V-E. Progressive sanctification. S-A-N-C. Sang. T-I-F-I-C-A. T-I-O-N. That's a long one. S-A-N-C-T-I-F-I-C-A-T-I-O-N. Now, here's what all the adults already know this means, right? It means that after salvation, God calls us to grow. And I want to quote somebody here because he said it way better than I ever could. A guy named Kevin DeYoung. He cited there at the bottom... Uh, of your sermon notes, The Hole in Our Holiness. Cannot recommend that book enough. It's a little older. It's so good. Which means after salvation, we grow through spirit-powered, gospel-driven, faith-fueled effort. Those are the blanks in there. There's a million of them, so I'm going to say it like three more times. All right, ready? Which means after, sancti- after salvation, we grow... Through Spirit-powered, in other words, the Holy Spirit gives you the power to do so. Gospel-driven. We're not doing it to save ourselves. We're doing it because Christ has saved us and because we now love Him. We have a relationship with Him. We can do it. Faith-fueled, so we're still trusting Him because we mess up all the time. Effort. And so here's the great conundrum of Christianity and the world. Everybody wants to save themselves. That's the religions of the world. Everybody wants to save themselves. But then suddenly when people get saved, we want to be lazy bums and not do anything. It's the absolute opposite from the kingdom of God. God does the saving because you're dead. 
but then He raises you so you actually can do good works and we don't do them. Because of salvation, we're not dead, but alive. We're not rebels, but children. We're not sinners, but saints. We're not sinners and tax collectors, but we're eating at the table with Jesus. We've lost our hearts of stone. We have softened hearts of flesh. We do not have the spirit of this world, but the Holy Spirit of God. We are the first time in our lives capable of pleasing God, truly doing right, of actually having victory of sin, and we don't do anything. That is the problem of the church. That's my problem. See, the Bible teaches we've been saved. Now, because of God, not, not to pull ourselves by, by our bootstraps, but because of what God's done, because we can please Him, it's time to get to work. It's time for Garden of Eden, cultivating and keeping before sin ever came in adam had a job to cultivate and keep the garden it was a good job and now we have the job we're to cultivate our spiritual lives we're to keep god's laws we're to create and recreate because that's what god does we can please god we're to put forth spirit-powered gospel-driven Faith-fueled effort. So let me say something to that guy who's been fighting porn for decades. It's time to stop lying to yourself that you can't do anything because if you are a believer, the Spirit of God indwells you. It's time to start fighting. Kids, if you've trusted Christ already, it's time to actually start obeying your parents. Not because you don't want the spanking, or the discipline, or the timeout, or whatever it is you do in your house. But because you love Jesus. One of the most powerful things I have heard on this was a to-be-married couple Pastor Tom Agnew and his wife Amanda, awesome folks. They preached at camp. Many of our students know him. When they were married, the person who counseled him shared something with Tom about being holy, just challenging them. It wasn't because of a problem, but, but to call them to sexual holiness. He said, do you love Jesus enough to keep your hands off of her? So let me ask this. Do you love Jesus enough to... Stop whatever that pervasive sin is in your life. Are you ready to buckle down in spirit-powered, gospel-driven faith? Are you ready to put the work in? Listen, uh, we're going to go to Romans chapter 6. Romans chapter 6. It says, what shall we say then? Are we, continue to, are we to continue in sin so that grace might be abounding? In other words, what, what should we do? So God saves us. He saves all those sins. It's so awesome. God gives grace when we sin. Well, let's sin more. There's more grace, right? Are we to continue to in sin that grace may abound? By no means. It's the closest thing to a cuss word in the Bible. It's three times in this verse. It's something to the degree of heck 
No. How can we who died to sin still live in it? Do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into His death? We were buried therefore with Him by baptism in order that just as Christ was raised from dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in newness of life. I want you to flip over a few pages. Romans 12, 1 and 2. Let me challenge you. If this, if this is hitting home, if this is a part of certain hit, read the rest of that chapter this evening, this afternoon. Romans 12, 1 and 2. I appeal. That, that, that word is like begging, pleading. I appeal to you, therefore, my brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as living sacrifices, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. In other words... The way we worship, the way we say thank you, the way we praise the God who saved us is by living like God. It's by looking like Jesus. Let's wrap this up. Question. Does God help those who help themselves? We have no idea. No one's ever helped himself spiritually. But God does save sinners. So if you're a sinner, turn to Jesus Christ in faith and repentance. Be saved by the God who works for you. And if you're saved, if that is your state, you have been brought from death to life. Act like it. Act like it. Don't act like the dead bone anymore who can't do anything. Put forth spirit-powered, gospel-driven, faith-fueled effort. Let's pray. Father, help us, teach us. One, help us to know your scripture and what it actually says, Lord, please. But two, Lord, help us to believe what you say about us. That we were dead, but you make us alive. Lord, I pray for any of those who don't know you, that they would be saved. That they would express their faith in you. And that you would do exactly what you have said you do. You make dead bones alive. Father, for many of us in this room, we've been made alive for years, but keep crawling back into the casket. Father, forgive us. May we act like alive people. May we follow you in love, peace, and holiness. Spirit, empower our efforts because we can't even do that on our own. We thank you, God. In Jesus' name, amen.